Hi, welcome to episode two, Cannabis in America. Last episode, we talked about the ancient history, so now we're going to go into details about America. And just a little disclaimer that I like to say for each episode is, although I am a Cleveland School of Cannabis student and I research my own information, I still highly recommend looking up your own information. I do my best to report factual information, but that does not mean everything I say is accurate. I do not recommend anything illegal, and I do not recommend buying cannabis off of the black market at any age. And I recommend waiting until you are legally able to consume cannabis, but remember, it is still federally illegal. So today, our lovely strain of cannabis is Jack Herrera. It's a sativa. And like we talked about last episode, it doesn't matter about the indica or sativa. It matters about the terpenes. And this guy doesn't tell me anything about terpenes, but it does say that his THC potency is 6.2%. The THCA is 21.97%. The CBD is 0%. CBDA is also 0%. So it's just THC and it's 24.44%. So I'm going to miss some of that body high, but that's okay. And it literally does not say terpenes, which let's just sniff it to find out. Wow, that's beautiful. That's such a beautiful smell. I wish I could, um, I wish you could get scent through the ears. Like, because then you'd be able to smell what I'm smelling, right? Is that how that would work? Mmm. <laughs> yep, it is a earthy tone with a little bit of mint, and I'm blanking on which terpene mint is, so... Let's do a little search, shall we? I the I believe the the earth smell is the pinene, but I am headed over to my notes to see what mint is, and to describe what this beautiful bud looks like because this is not shake. This is the whole bud, and it is it's got some beautiful orange hairs on it. And it is very, very, very terpeny. It looks beautiful, this bud right here, actually. And it's a beautiful deep green with the terpenes are a little slight yellow. So this might have some awesomine. Oh, no, it is awesomine. <laughs> I'm funny. So it's awesomine and pinene that are on these strains. Okay, so now we're going to grind it up. So I've got a wood grinder with me because I have no idea where my metal grinder is, which typical stoner just losing things all the time. (laughs) Okay, so we've just got a little bit of bud here. Wow, this is beautiful. I recommend for those of you out there, if you feel comfortable putting your um, bud in a glass container other than your containers that you get from the dispensary, I recommend putting it in those just because you don't really want to keep 
cannabis in plastic. It's not good for it. It actually will degrade your cannabis faster. And so if you keep it in glass, that prevents it. But you also want to make sure that you're storing your cannabis like wine, right? So wine, you want to have it in the cellar. Why? Because it's dark and cool. And that's where you want to have your cannabis, in a dark and cool place. So then it keeps longer and you also want it in, what did I say earlier? A glass jar. Okay, so I'm just trying to get the last of this bud in here. I'm spilling it all over the counter. Bud abuse. <laughs> like alcohol abuse, but with buds. Cannabis. All right, let's smoke. Cheers. This one is warm and hugs my tongue. It kind of gives me a little bit of cinnamon, but it's not cinnamon. It's like a cool breath of air once you're breathing out, but on your tongue, it kind of sits and hugs and I'm getting a hug on my chest right now, right, uh, right in the center of me. That is where it's deciding to reside. Hmm. Yeah, this is a lovely strain. I really appreciate this. Jack Herrera, who would have known? Mm. Now as we're sitting on this a little bit, I'm feeling definitely a head buzz, mm, a body buzz. My body feels good. It feels loose, but also a little heavy. Hmm. This is an interesting strain, everyone. Let's get started and uh, I'll keep you updated on how it's making me feel. So, Cannabis in America. In 1619, the United States passed the first cannabis law in Jamestown Colony, VA. The bill made it illegal if you were a farmer and did not grow hemp. It made it illegal if you did not grow cannabis. Interesting. Hemp, by the way, for people who don't know what it is, hemp is cannabis, but it just has trace amounts of THC in it. It is more of a sativa, and I believe that means that it has more CBD in it. Don't quote me on that. We'll come back to that. In 1631, Massachusetts enacts a must-grow laws to avoid a hemp shortage. So they followed through after... Um, in Jamestown. They put that bill in, then other states started to follow. So Massachusetts was the next one, and cannabis was used as a legal tender. If you guys don't know what tender is, it's money. And the incentive for farmers to grow more. And so then Connecticut follows after Massachusetts in 19, or sorry, we're not in 19 yet, we're in 1632. 
and then 1745 to 1755, George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, in his diary, he indicated he grew hemp at his plantation in Mount Vernon for approximately 30 years. And according to his agriculture ledgers, he had a particular interest in the medical use of cannabis, medicinal use of cannabis. He had several diary entries that indicate that he was indeed, he was growing cannabis with high THC content. So that man was getting high. I mean, honestly, if you're running the country, you need to smoke. It's a stressful job. <laughs> like, I would smoke. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, cannabis and stress, I definitely recommend. Or CBD and stress, actually. Some calm or focus is great. I definitely recommend CBD. So, uh, 1763 to 1767, if farmers didn't grow cannabis in the United States, it was a crime punishable by jail time. So, and then taxes at this time, they could be paid with hemp for the next 200 years. Because we're in 1763, right? So, all that stops at a sad time. So... In 1775, cannabis was used, and like just during this time in general, cannabis was used for products such as 90% of ship sails that were made from hemp. So the rigging, the anchor ropes, the netting, the flags, the shrouds, and oakum, which is untwisting rope. And they were all made from cannabis stalks. And fun fact, um, hemp, there's different kinds of it. So there's hemp that you make clothing from, there's hemp that you can make rope, there's hemp that you can make cars, and there's hemp that you can make oils. It's just the different parts of the hemp. And like if, for example, the hemp is softer versus like a wood, like hemp will literally look like um, bamboo or wood. So anyway, other products such as charts and maps and bibles and paper contained hemp fibers and until 1880s 80 percent of all the textiles and fabrics were made from hemp so betty ross made the first american flag sewn from hemp that's so cool our first flag was hemp that's awesome the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, Declaration of Independence, was written on hemp paper. The first draft. <laughs> and hemp lasts 50 to 100 times longer and is easier to write on parchment paper, which is what uh, the original official Declaration of Independence document was written on. And if you guys didn't know this, Benjamin Franklin started one of the United States, United States first paper mill with hemp, and that allowed access to free colonial press without depending on England. So we were pushing out papers made of hemp, so then we didn't have to rely on Great Britain. Hmm. We're smart. We are doing it right. 
we were using that hemp instead of paper. Who knew? Um, so then at the Valley of the Forge, hemp clothing actually kept soldiers warm and alive. Imagine using cotton and freezing to death because you thought it was going to be warm enough. That just is not it. I mean, I honestly, I think freezing to death would be one of the worst ways to die because then you're just shivering and you're just trying to get warm and you can't. And bless hemp for saving those soldiers at Valley of the Forge. And did you know that Levi made the first pair of Strauss pants with hemp? And they stopped for a while, but now they're starting to produce hemp pants again, which I think is really awesome. And hopefully they're able to convince other clothing companies to turn to hemp too. So other products such as twine, rope, art canvases, paint, varnishes, lighting oil, car oil, thanks to Henry Ford, but that got stopped, medicine, foods, oils and protein, fish and bird food, building materials for cars and houses, all of that was used from hemp. So what changed? Let's get into it. So in the mid-1930s, the hemp fiber stripping was not an easy process. So luckily, in 1916, Lester Dewey invented technology to strip hemp fiber at less than half of the cost of tree pulp fiber. So why didn't we use it? I don't know. That's a good question. Lester was the U.S. Department of Agriculture chief scientist and botanist. So this means the timber, paper, and large newspaper companies stood to lose billions. So they were not happy about it. And this new thing that just came out, well, if you have a lot of money versus if you don't and you can't start something, usually you're trumped out by the money. We're just in a capitalistic society. That's just the way it is. So one of those companies that was standing to lose billions was DuPont. And a company who, to this day, makes plastics, oil, coal, and wood pulp from paper. So hemp was a major environmental friendly factor that would be crucial for reducing pollution. However, there, were, there was more money in non-environmental friendly companies, which is so sad. So before 1937, the Treasury Department conducted secret meetings from 1935 to 1937 to write prohi prohibitive tax laws and strategies. So they met in secret. So why did they meet in secret? I mean, if it was something that didn't need to happen or that like would be protested against, why are you doing it? It's not for the people. Anyway, William Randolph Hearst wrote scandal sheets about cannabis known as yellow journalism. This guy makes me so mad. So he painted a picture of a lazy pot smoking Mexican and had racist smear campaigns against the Chinese, referring to them as yellow pearl and claiming African Americans would rape white women due to cocaine. And get this, he then switched his statement from cocaine causing the rapes to marijuana. Yep. Yep. 
and this resulted in films such as Marijuana Assassin of the Youth, Marijuana Weed, Roots in Hell, and Reefer Madness. And I don't know if you have seen any of those. I've watched Reefer Madness. It was so awful. It was funny. And you're just literally sitting there like, are you kidding me? They're saying that this happened? In Reefer Madness, someone gets killed and they blame it on cannabis. And it's like, are you kidding me? You really believe that? All right. <laughs> like, it's such bad quality of a movie, though, too. It's just watch it. Just watch it. And so all of that, the propaganda added to the negative public mindset, which sucks because it used to be such a great thing. And now the public's like, oh, we can't trust this. We're not going to use it. So the U.S. government sponsored the Silver Commission to study the effects of smoking marijuana, and the British released the report of the Indian Hemp Drugs Commission, and both reports concluded marijuana was not a problem and recommended that no criminal penalties apply to its use. Interesting. We have obviously gone against that. We obviously have not listened to that. And the reports discredited William Hurst's yellow journalism, yellow racist journalism, and the anti-marijuana films that were created. So that was before 1937. So then everything falls apart in 1937. On March 29th, when the Marijuana Tax Act taxes all the farmers who grew hemp. So many of the hemp farmers had to close due to the Marijuana Tax Act. And the Supreme Court upheld the prohibition of the machine gun laws through taxation. So they passed this bill and then the people who were trying to meet in secret, remember those people? Well, that was uh, Herman Affiliate and that gave him an opportunity to introduce the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. Since they just passed a bill, this one went really fast. So he introduced it to the bill directly to the House of Ways and Means Commission. Or Ways and Means, means Ways and Means Committee. Give me a second, I gotta drink water. Okay, yep. Ways and Means Commission. The only committee, committee, why do I keep saying commission? Hello. <laughs> oh, um, the Ways and Means Committee. The only committee that can send its bills directly to the House floor without being subject to debate by the other committees. The, uh, so the chairman of Ways and Means Committee was Robert L. Doughton. He's a DuPont alley, ally. So guess what? He passes that shit really fast. It goes, he, he stamps it. He's like, all right, cool. He sends it to the secretary of treasury bill. And he sends it to the Congress and then it goes to the president. And so while this is happening, they have a small trial, but it goes really fast. 
So Dr. William C. Woodward, who was a physician and attorney for the American Medical Association, he testified on behalf of the AMA stating that the entire federal testimony was tabloid sensationalism, no real testimony had been heard, and the law proposed would deny the world of a potential medicine, especially since it was just the start of understanding which ingredients in cannabis were still active. And he said cannabis was been, has been used as a medicine to safely treat illnesses for over hundreds of years. He said on behalf of the AMA, they cannot understand why this tax bill was prepared in secret for two years without imitation to the profession that it was being prepared. Yep, he literally laid it out for them. And guess what? Harry Angslinger, the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, quickly denounced the Congressional Committee and they were curtly excused. So, the only pertinent question asked on the floor was did anybody consult with the AMA and get their opinion? And Harry Angslinger kicked the AMA, American Medical Association attorney, out. Okay, how does that make sense? It doesn't. <laughs> so then the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, it should have gone to the appropriate committees to handle this issue, such as food and drug or the agriculture or textiles. It's ridiculous it didn't go there. And so the negative connotations of cannabis continues throughout history with the gore files and reefer madness because of this tax act where nobody can really even talk about it. I mean, they can talk about it, but everyone's thinking it's bad. And now that there's a tax on it, it's starting to not look so good. And Harry Engslinger, he testified before Congress saying marijuana was the most violent drug causing than any other in the history of mankind. Really? Interesting, because it's helped millions of people throughout history. Interesting. So then in the 1960s, although the negative propaganda was being used, multiple reports of cannabis as a positive products were being published during this time. So in 1967, millions of Americans started using marijuana. The hippie movement where everyone started doing drugs. I mean, yeah, they started doing a bunch of drugs, but like they still used marijuana and they knew it wasn't bad. So 1966 to 1967, all reports on cannabis were published, suggesting it had incredible therapeutic potential, suggesting cannabis was the best and safest medicine of choice. Yeah, they knew what was up. But unfortunately, in 1970, Nixon signed the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Substances Act and scheduled cannabis as a Schedule One drug, which is very difficult to get it to be unscheduled, descheduled. And it's very frustrating that he did that. And it means that you cannot research cannabis anymore. And it says it is highly potential for abuse and there is no current accepted medical use and lack of accepted safety, which is not true. I mean, you can become psychologically dependent on cannabis. That is true. But 
I also think if you are using cannabis as a medicine and it is helping you throughout your daily life and you are still able to function and get your shit done, I think you are okay as long as it's not, there's a point where things become unhealthy and that's for you to decide. And so there's no abuse of cannabis and the fact that there is no currently accepted medical use is completely untrue. I mean, we heard from just in ancient history when they're using it for gout, when they're using it for glaucoma, when they're using it for periods. I mean, come on, the list is endless. Literally, there's a book of just a bunch of um, things that cannabis is good for, and I definitely recommend it. Let me pull it up really quick. I can give you a book reference. It is da 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 da. The book name is Cannabis pharmacy. I definitely recommend that book. Um, anyway, and the, and a lack of accepted safety. What safety? I mean, you can have a panic attack, yes, and you can feel like your heart is going fast, but that's because cannabis elevates your heart rate, but it does not kill you. There is no accounts of cannabis killing anyone. It's laced with things when it kills you, But that's why you don't want to buy your cannabis off of the black market because your cannabis can be laced. And when it goes through the dispensary, it it has to be tested so you know that your cannabis is good. That's why you want to get it from a safe source. And I also recommend using um, vaporized products because it's healthier for you. I mean, Ohio banned smoking cannabis um, like with a lighter, like with a bowl, like I've been doing, I've had the luxury to do. And they banned it because it's not good for you. And granted, I am going to switch to vaporization soon, as soon as I can. And I highly recommend everyone else do, too, because the butane, you're inhaling that when you're burning your cannabis and it's not good for you. But there's no occurrences of cannabis killing anyone. So in 1976, the U.S. government forbade all federal research into marijuana's therapeutic events, and the Reagan administration instructed all American universities and research to destroy all of the research they got from 1966 to 1976. All of that cannabis research, gone. So, they're hiding something, man. Like, the fact that they're taking all this research away that they've collected and they've found, like... Think of how frustrating it is to find the endocannabinoid system. I mean, this was found later on. It's separate, but think of how frustrating it is to find something like that. Find this amazing system within the human body. And you're not able to talk about it. You're not able to promote it because it's illegal. Because you're not supposed to be researching cannabis. Like, come on. That sucks, man. I. It's so upsetting and a lot of the research that is given to the government they don't accept they say this is not okay because you're not supposed to be researching cannabis and then once you bring evidence to the court like people have tried to use evidence against um the ruling of a schedule one drug and once you use certain evidence you have to choose different evidence after that you can never use it again so it's you have to be very sure about your argument and it's just a losing battle and Hopefully, cannabis will be legalized. That's what we're hoping for. 
And is it possible? Who knows? We'll find out. So my ending remarks for today's episode is, although cannabis is as scheduled as a level one on the narcotics, all of the scheduling reasons can be can be disproven, like I said. So that is why multiple states are making cannabis legal and creating their own cannabis state laws. So where are the cannabis laws heading? Um, after all this mayhem, will cannabis become legalized? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And we'll discuss that in our next episode on our interview with Brian Adams. Please join us for that. It'll be so much fun and I can't wait to see you guys there. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your Wednesday. Cheers.